0: Today, we have Matt Faircloth on the show. Are you looking to raise private capital? Matt currently owns over 1,350 multifamily units. He advises others to focus on your zone of genius. He wrote the book Raising Private Capital to help others find capital for deals small, large, and everything in between. Listen to learn more about how Matt has helped others raise private capital for their deals. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn, and then select the free PDF. Now, on the intro.
1: Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced
0: to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Matt Faircloth before we start the show. Matt lives in Pennsylvania with his wife and two young children. He studied engineering at Virginia Tech and then went into sales. He loves working with people, and he advises that everyone focus on their zone of genius. He wrote the book Raising Private Capital to provide a resource and help others learn how to do what he did. He has tips for small deals, large deals, and everything in between. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today we have a very special guest with us here today. We've got Matt Faircloth. Matt, appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Darren, yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, just a little bit on how I know Matt. Um, this is actually the first time that we're talking to each other, um, but I know of Matt from Social media. I also read his book. He's got, and we'll talk about his book, uh, Raising Private Capital. And um, actually, I, I didn't mention this to you before we hit record, but I did see on Facebook today that he, he and his wife are celebrating their anniversary. So, how many years, my friend? 16. 16 years. Congratulations. Yeah. That's Thank fantastic. You. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, well, I appreciate you spending the time with us today. Um, you know, first question typically ask is how many properties and how many units are you invested in?
1: Sure. Uh, we've done, um, let's see, we've sold a lot too. Uh, we currently hold around 1350 doors, uh, mostly multifamily. And, and also in there is an office complex that I just count how many offices are in the building. Um, and that, so that, that's where we are unit count wise, um, property wise, that's something like seven, uh, assets, um, that are the smallest. One is a 300 the largest one is a 336 unit in North Carolina. The smallest one in there is a four family. That's a, it's, um, three apartments and a, uh, storefront. Awesome. Awesome. That's Yeah, it. full, full yeah. range. And we've done a lot of, a lot of everything in between too.
0: Fantastic. So um, to start, maybe I know, I know I read your book and we're going to get into that. Um, but, you know, how did you actually get into real estate? What was your background beforehand? Why did you even do it?
1: Um, good question. I, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, I was um, and that even went back into my teens, you know, like when I was growing up, I knew I was good at math and science and I went to a math and science oriented high school you know, like it was a magnet school. Um, and people are like, Oh, you're good at math and science. You should be an engineer. And I said, okay, I'll do, that's what I'll do. Like I'm 16 years old and I have no idea what to do with myself. So I'll just do what the grownups say. And they want me to go be an engineer. So that's what I'll do. So I got into Virginia tech. Cause it's where, and I applied there. Cause it's where one of my dad's friends went to college and he was a heavy pusher of the Hokies on me. And so I good, good engineering school, right? great engineering school great engineering school a lot of fun a lot of camaraderie a lot of social scene exactly what i you know you know wouldn't have changed a minute of it sure um and uh, and had a great time and got a great degree but when i graduated i didn't know i still didn't know what an engineer did i just knew that it involved a lot of math and a lot of science because that's what i took you know thermo and physics and uh all any kind of different level of calculus you can think of i took right so um, when I saw what an engineer did, and I met meeting field engineers, that were these guys in factories or gals in factories that were just talking about how things got designed and efficiencies and operational stuff. Like, oh, I, I don't want to do that, though. So it doesn't didn't speak to me. And I developed a love of people and a personality that enabled that really was very extroverted and stuff like that through college. And so I took a job in sales um, and I was in technical sales for years. Got very good at it. Uh, traveled around a bit, and um, found myself in Philadelphia, and met my um, met my girlfriend, now wife, who put Rich Dad Poor Dad in my hand.
0: Oh, fantastic! That yeah. that book, man, it has started out so many people. It's incredible.
1: He was just on the Bigger Pockets podcast, and Brandon Turner said that to him. It was like, I have no idea how many entrepreneurs you created or people who quit their job because of your book. You know. Um, and uh, most people I know, that's how they got started. They read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it changed their mindset on everything. And then they quit their job to because they just couldn't go back to work after reading that book. Right. You know?
0: Right. Well, I appreciate that. So, so at that point you're in technical sales and you meet your, you know, now wife, girlfriend, now wife, how did you end up getting in, you know, deciding to do real estate?
1: Well, it's it's just true. I mean, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Robert Kiyosaki in that book talks a lot about investing. Um, he's a big real estate guy, so that got us sure. into real estate. Uh, so we started attending a lot of local RIA meetings, um, took a few uh, classes and stuff like that. So went that path while we were dating. Um, started buying rental properties while we were dating. Um, in that, so uh, so that that was a road that Liz and I went down, which was which was great. We're glad we did that. Uh, and then by the time that we had a few properties lined up and I was living in one of our rentals, right? it's a few, few of my old, a uh, few of my friends paying me rent for the house I lived in and that. Then when I, um, when we got married, we figured out that it would be just a, a risk that we wanted to take for me to quit my job uh, at Ingersoll Rand, which is where I worked, to, uh, to go and, and, and start up our company, to, to start up a real estate investing business full time. And so I decided that was a risk I wanted to take and I did and it worked out. I mean, that's, and that, that was 2005.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, your book, Raising Private Capital, um, you know, I've read, you know, I've read other books that are on syndication financing and, and whatnot, and you cover that in the book. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was that um, it sounded like you started out, you know, in smaller deals and mm-hmm. then you kind of, you know, learned and then kind of grew and and then the, you know, the financing sources changed as you went to different deals and you talk about all those different levels. So, you know, it, this book can really help somebody right from the get go, you know, getting into a duplex or, mm-hmm. you know, um, versus just being focused on like large scale syndication. So yeah, I thought that was, that, a, was, was, that was interesting.
1: To do that. And, and, I, and I, people like, in this day and age, Darren, people are forgetting that there's actually other types of real estate you can own besides an apartment building. Because that's all, that's all anybody ever wants to buy right now is I don't buy multi-family. Well, you can actually buy a small single. You can buy single families. You can buy a small multi. You can buy you know mid-sized stuff. It doesn't have to be a 200-unit apartment complex. It's 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 you know complexes are apartment complexes are complex. You know. <laughs> And little single-family homes and onesie twosie deals are way more simple and you don't have a bunch of investors on board with you. You can just borrow the money, as I talk about in the book. Um, so I believe that, that uh, smaller real estate is a great way to get going. And I have friends that do very, very well that, that uh, have never syndicated and they have over 200 units and they just use the borrower strategy over and over and over again. Um, and they, they do very well for themselves. Um, without ever having to sell any equity, without ever having to to, to get that diluted or any of that kind of stuff, so this is a, a real path to financial success in real estate that doesn't involve multifamily or self storage or mobile home parks. You know,
0: that's a, yeah. you know that's a point. You know, look, there's listeners on the uh, that listen to this show that are just looking to get started and trying to figure it out, and then there's listeners that are you know they're in the deal and they they want to ramp up and. So, you know, one of the things, and I have a lot of syndicators that come on that have done 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 units. And I think it's important to understand, look, everybody has a different mindset. Everybody has a different comfort level of how they can get in the game. Uh, For me, you know, my first deal was a a new construction duplex. Mm -hmm. And the next deal was a 76-unit townhome community. But, you know... I don't think I could have gone right. I didn't, my mind wasn't there to go right to the 76 unit, you know? So doing the duplex like taught me a lot and then, and then helped me move on. So look, I put together a lot of notes on, on uh, your book. We're not going to be able to cover it all, but let me uh, just hit on some points, you know? So uh, one, you talk about capital preservation, you know, a lot of investors, that's, you know, one of their top things is that they don't want to lose money. So yeah. talk, talk about that and, and why you think real estate is a good area um, for capital preservation.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because um, people forget that I'm talking people, I mean, like deal providers and my, in the language of raising private capital that I use is a deal provider and a cash provider and the deal providers, meaning the person that's, you know, you know, us out there finding opportunities that they need capital from uh, cash providers to to invest in you forget why people invest, right? And a lot of people invest not necessarily so I can make a 15% IRR so I can make all this cash flow so I can make this and make that. A lot of times it has nothing to do with those things. That has to do with, I, I need to put my cash somewhere else besides Wall Street because I already have a bunch of money in Wall Street already. And I want to get true diversification. A, I'm worried about inflation, B, right? Uh, about the cost of a gallon of milk becoming a lot more next year than it is today or a gallon of gas or whatever. Um, and the way around these things is to buy assets, buy not buy assets outside of Wall Street. And it's, you know, Robert Kiyosaki uh, 101. I mean, assets produce cash flow, and real estate is one of the best assets you can you can pick up out there, which to your question earlier, that's why we got involved in real estate is because it's one of the best asset classes you can invest in because of the tax advantages, because of the way and the means you can leverage it, because of all the different uh, benefits that it has. Um, that, that's why I think it's a great asset. And I think I love explaining that to our passive investors when they come in is about the, uh, the, uh, you know, ideal, you've heard, probably heard that one, right? I D E A L, um, which is interest, interest, uh, the, 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 interest D for depreciation E for, um, I'm going to try and get all these, right. <laughs> 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 um, I just forgot E, I think it's that you can write off your expenses on the property. Um, A that it appreciates, and L you can uh, you can write it off. What you can use leverage uh, to uh, to you know take on debt to buy it. Um, so it is ideal, and that's why I love explaining that to passive investors that don't understand the business yet to to go through it with them.
0: Yeah, I, I you hit on two points that I think uh, that are different um, than say investing in the stock market that have. Huge advantages. One is leverage and two, two is depreciation. Depreciation, you know, is not a cash expense, but you get to uh, have a write-off for it. And a lot mm-hmm. of people end up having a loss when they actually had positive cash flow. Right.
1: Um, okay. second, what your investment is there? Whether you can tell the IRS you lost money, but you really made it legally tell the yes. IRS you lost money, right. and then you legally made money. Right. Yeah. What else is there out there like that? It's, I mean, nothing I've ever seen. Now is this oil and gas There's other stuff that's more complex uh, that has tax leverage to it. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. That is there elsewhere, right. but it's still pretty cool. You it's know, you it's phenomenal. That, I can borrow my, I can borrow against the hard asset, you know, uh, the sticks and bricks. And some people don't money.
0: understand, well, what's the benefit of that? Well, you know, look, if you're in, you're buying a stock, you're buying Amazon stock and you put $50,000 or $10,000 into the stock. In order for it to, you know, have a hundred percent return, that $50,000 has to turn into a hundred thousand dollars. But, you know, on these real estate deals, if you have 70 or 80% leverage, all of the gain goes back to the equity owners. So you just pay back the loan. So you're getting appreciation on basically, you know, the the loaned amount um, is that's all going back to the equity owner. So you don't have to double the value of the property. To get a double in your investment
1: mm-hmm. you No, know, that's what's great about it. And in uh, buying stock and things like that, yeah, you know Bitcoin moves up 25 percent in a day, um, but it can also drop that. And we, real estate will not does not fluctuate like uh, paper assets do, because it's hard to trade it, because that's one of the reasons why you can borrow against it is because the value of real estate, even though you see it go up and up and up or down or whatever, it's fairly fixed as compared to other asset classes. And, that's the, and, and that is because it's hard to trade. You can't just sell real estate in a day. Right. You can't sell real estate in two days or a week. It takes probably two to three months to trade real estate. So when you do that, it takes the emotion out of it. And it takes the panic sale or the holy crap, it's going to go up or holy crap, it's going to go down, right, out of real estate. And it normalizes the price a lot more than other asset classes have normalization of price.
0: I, I completely agree. I mean, if you think back at what happened in 2020 with COVID, there was two or three weeks where the stock market was just tanking every day, but all my real estate transactions, I don't have a ticker symbol. So, you yeah. know, it, it, I didn't see the valuation going down. You know, I knew, I knew we were, we were going to have no some, panic ch- some challenges. You whatnot.
1: A, yeah. You can't push a panic button on right. real estate and, and dump sell it, you know? I mean, I know people whose closings got thrown out the window because of COVID, and I know a lot of bad things that happened, but that was short-lived, um, and it, it uh, damaged things differently than the stock market crash did in, in, in a sale like that, uh, which just can't happen in real estate, which is what's great. And that was, that's what creates leverage. Because of that stability in, in valuation, that's why banks are willing to put money on it, because right? Right. They, can, they can collateralize it and know that it's not going to just get cut in half in price in a day.
0: Absolutely. So another thing you talk about in the book is, you know, um, when you're going out talking to investors and whatever type of transaction, whether it's a smaller deal or a larger deal, um, you know, people don't realize the money that they have available to them, you know, as investors. So talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, you know, where do people find capital that they didn't know that they had, that they can
1: leverage? That's one of the best things that i Probably one of my joys in what I do in in offering what I offer to people is in opening up levels of possibility that people didn't realize were there because a lot of times when people want to invest with us, we get like hey i want to put some you know put some cash to work. it's almost always in hard cash that they have um maybe they've may had a windfall or maybe you've been really smart to be able to be able to save it up, whatever happened, they've got something they want to put to work right sure. um and in raising private capital I'll talk about the three sources of capital which are cash right there uh, and then real estate equity and then in retirement accounts um, and you know a lot of America's homes are paid off thirty percent of America's single of America's primary residences not secondary residences not rental properties but 30 percent of America's single-family homes are owned free and clear um, and that's thanks to you know, baby boomers being fiscally responsible for those that did or for those that have just been really diligent about paying their home mortgage off or listened to Dave Ramsey or whatever and just got themselves out of personal debt. A lot of homes are free and clear. Uh, that home, that free and clear home could be leveraged um, on like a 2.5% uh, HELOC right now, home equity line of credit, and then that 2.5% money cost of capital could get put into something yielding 9 10 11% and the homeowner gets to make all that yield spread. It's the best piggy bank ever invented, uh, being a, bor- a borrowing in, in, a, in a home equity line like that. Um, maybe only second to a whole life insurance policy. You know? um, but it's, it's one of those great ways for people to leverage something that they've paid down and built and make a great yield spread for themselves.
0: Yeah, uh, so a- let, let's talk yeah. about that just a little sure. bit because, you know, the people that have paid, because that's one of the financial things that's talked about a lot pay down your house, pay down your house. Don't have a mortgage. Don't have a mortgage. Do the
1: parties Darren, where know? they go and they have like, they'll burn the, the burn, mortgage. burning their mortgage. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah. and yeah.
0: you know, so there's a, there's a thought process out there that that's the smart thing to do. And then mm-hmm. there's other people and you're one of them that believes that, Hey, look, there's, there's all this debt equity in your home mm-hmm. that you can leverage and, you know, so what you mentioned was, all right, if you took out a home equity line at two and a half percent and then you got um, you know, you know a lot of the multifamily deals I see are seven eight percent cash flow and you know mm-hmm. mid teens total return o- overall. But you know, if you double the I mean, even if you got a five percent cash flow, you're doubling the cash flow, you pay off, pay off the the interest on the on mm-hmm. the mortgage, and then you have two assets. I think that that's part of where people don't understand is now they have two assets. If the original home, let's say the original home was a million dollars. Well, if over the next five years it goes up a hundred thousand, you're still going to make that hundred thousand, whether you had that HELOC and you own another investment or not. hmm You know, so now you've got multiple assets working for you instead of one. And I think that that's the the part that people have a hard time grasping because, you know, it's also about people telling you like, that's risky, you know, um, they, and those people that are giving you that advice are the ones that haven't done it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know they, they don't, they don't know, they don't know what real risk is, you know? Right. Um, uh, risk is not the potential to lose risk is like the unknown thing that you didn't think of you. risk is the person who's been working at a job for 15 years, getting laid off. Right. At, that 15, people think on. is
0: just bad, bad luck. Risk.
1: Right. Yeah. That,
0: but I agree that that, you know, look, you get into your forties and fifties and you're at your, you know, your salary is, is at risk, yeah. you know, to the younger guys risk. coming in.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, back to your point about yeah. the HELOC, I would not. Rec- I've had many people that come like, "Hey, I've got a HELOC or some equity in my home. Can I invest in one of your syndications?" And I typically will discuss that with them in a lot of detail before I'll allow them to do it. And here's why.
0: Yeah, it's now, awesome.
1: Syndications are not guaranteed to pay that monthly payment, right? right. Uh, they endeavor to, you know, to to make that monthly prep. Um and but they, but the property if, if they now there's syndicators out there that are gonna pay you that pref no matter what because they don't want to look bad or they don't want you to they don't want you to see what's going on behind the curtain. They, they overraise raise,
0: and start paying right away. They overraise yeah, yeah, right.
1: that, that's that's a common thing. And yeah. is they overraise enough capital, they can just ride the storm and pay you your money, pay you your pref forever and ever because they've raised enough capital, they can do that. We don't right. do that at the rest, So we pay the pref truly out of cash flow from the property um in that and so um what uh what what i and if the property's not cash flowing we don't pay a pref. so right. there's no guarantee you're going to get it now you, you think that there is but there's not so what i recommend people do is with the heloc that they have is to put that money into secondary debt to go and take yeah you got debt on your that that's that heloc is a, a debt instrument on your home you're borrowing that money i would go and take it and recycle it back into another debt a debt instrument let's call it hard money right I would go, I, I have a HELOC on my home right now, Darren, for hundred K. And I have that, I have that hundred K lent to somebody at 12% plus three points. Wow. Right. Yeah, that, so that's they, great. I made three points on origination. So at the hundred K, so I made $3,000 for originating the loan. And then I make a thousand dollars a month in interest payments. They they pay me a thousand dollars a month. Right. Um, in an uh, in interest. And they're glad to do it. This is hey, a And you're having to pay
0: two,
1: $250. What's that? You're having right. to pay $250.
0: Yeah, you're right, make,
1: you're yeah, making $750. 750. A month in cash flow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I make $750 a month in cash flow. And this is just how much I love the game. I don't take that $750 and put it in my pocket. You know what I do with it? I take it and I pay my HELOC down with it. So when they send me the thousand, I take the entire thousand and I burn down my HELOC so that my HELOC, my monthly interest payment becomes less and less every month. And it's such a nominal shift. It only saves me like an extra five bucks. But it's only because I love the whole game of compounding interest and, and, uh, and, and, you know, just creating like exponential returns and things like that, that I'm doing it that way. Now the borrower is you know, people like, Oh man, you're jacking that per borrower per borrower. No, he got a mobile. He, this is the, the loan is on a enormous mobile home park that he got that he got seller financing on. He came in with 10% capital out of his own pocket and he got the other 10% uh, from me and a few other private lenders. Um, and that, so he is glad to pay me a thousand a month because he's making quite a bit more than that. And the, the park, when he bought it the, for the price, he bought it from will likely double in value after he's done the work that he's doing to the property. So it's a win-win and yeah. a bank wouldn't have touched the deal, you know? Um, but, but it's, it's one of those great arrangements. So I, here's and going all the way back to your original question, the reason why I like that arrangement is because he's under contract through a loan agreement to make me a monthly payment. I got to make a monthly payment too. Right, um, the syndicate. If you invest with a syndication, they don't have to make you monthly pay. They might pay you once a quarter if the deal's profitable. But then you're going to have to pay that interest carry yourself. And I hate negative cash flow, Taryn. I, I don't ever, you know, even though however much money I have, I don't want to do deals that take money out my pocket every month. Right? I want right. to do deals to put money my, money in my pocket, even if it's a little bit. So I like that monthly payment. Concept because I, if I've got to make a monthly payment, I want to get a monthly payment.
0: Does right. that make sense? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that uh, one of the things you said too is is look having the discussion with the investor and understanding yeah. their financial situation. Some people are like, look, that positive cash flow is very important. I need to know that if I move this stuff, you know, pull out a home equity line, I'm going to put it into something that's going to give me that monthly you know monthly positive cash flow you
1: want to make other, sure that it's coming from which other people condition. may
0: be like look i'm i like the idea of of having a a bigger return and i'm you know this really isn't a big piece of my portfolio and so i think it makes sense to you know, do a syndication and I I might have a remote. few months that I'm out cash flow, but then all of a sudden I get distribution after three months or six months and that pays it back yeah. and I'm I'm fine with that.
1: There's people that are crazy negative cash flow zealous like I am that are gonna be like, Hey Matt, you telling me all I gotta pay is two fifty a month to maintain this loan here and I can take that money and put it into your deal and I can put a hundred K in and probably make you know a lot more than 250 a month right where do i sign you know because they've got plenty of cash flow personally No, they're probably looking at it the right way um but i just got kiyosaki in my brain and that <laughs> right. negative cash flow just i i can't do it so um but for but for them and if i explain it to them properly and they get it then 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 uh, they're willing to do it and they've got plenty of cash reserves and everything like that they're happy to do that Absolutely. Uh, to, to have the heloc invest in the syndication, maintain the monthly payments when there's not a prep paid. And then when the prep gets paid, use it as a catch up. I mean, there's plenty of folks that are doing that. And it's a great arrangement too. So.
0: So talk about, um, you you mentioned this phrase in your book, uh, assembler of opportunities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, especially when you get into syndication, you're raising money from other people. Some people get scared, you know, they get scared that like, and, they're focusing on themselves and their, their deal yeah. and they need to get their deal done instead of, you know, talk about how you, how you view it from an opportunity yeah. guy.
1: Yeah, man. Well, um, I look at it as an opportunity, right? And what we provide as deal providers is a true opportunity to people that don't have the time, the resources, the wherewithal, the contacts, the knowledge, the cojones, the whatever you (laughs) you want to put in there to get out and find their own multifamily deal. And they've tried. Most of of the passives that I talk to are calling us because like, hey man, you guys have figured out some sort of secret equation because I keep trying to find my own deals and it ain't working out. And so now I'm out of time and and I just don't want to put my time in anymore to find my own opportunities. I'd rather just invest with an operator that's doing well um and that's you guys so that's a lot in a lot of ways that's what comes up but the, the uh, people that are worried about asking for money or like oh it's a gotta get money for my deal how am i gonna get how am i gonna get it or whatever you're putting the money up on a pedestal there in those people that's what they're doing you put the money up on up on up, up the, where it's up on a shrine over here From the investor, and it becomes this thing that if you see it of more value than what you're bringing to the equation, you're gonna have a hard time raising money. The way I view it, and the way I talk about it in raising private capital, it is a equal relationship. What we bring is the deal providers are well the deal, but that's that's leveraged upon my industry experience that I know how to make that deal come to profit because it's a deal without profit is nothing. It's just a money pit, right? Um, So I know how to turn that deal into profit through education, through network, through mentorships that I've gotten, and through my network, right? I I know how to turn a deal into profit. Not everybody knows how to do that. I've got banking relationships, broker relationships, property management relationships, industry experience, long list of contacts, yada, 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 yada. Make all those things that I have that are non-monetary, right? Um, But not everybody has those things. And the biggest thing I have is time, Right? It's the one limited resource in the whole wide world. It's the one thing we only get so much of in our lives, right? Um, but the, but the, the, almost every investor that shows up to me, Darren, says, geez, I sure wish I could invest in real estate too, but I just don't have the time, right? So well, I do. I have built no time in my yeah. business. And, yeah.
0: and I'm in agreement with time, but I have, I'm going to add something to it, you know, because I think it's not just time, but it's also you have to be an action taker. Yes, you know, because there's a lot of people that they spend ton of time analyzing deals. You know,
1: mm-hmm. they do, but yeah. They're paralysis by analysis, and I've they also they can't pull we, the trigger. Yeah, I'd, I'll turn myself in, man. When I first got going, um, I took a lot of action, but I also wasn't focused. So maybe let's, I'll, let, let's let's have fun with this. I think sure. it's time. I think it's uh, action that it's not just underwriting a bunch of deals, and also I think it's focus. I'll throw those three things in to being the successful, to, to the, the, those are the, the, success recipes for the successful deal provider. You and I are writing raise of private capital book Two, right now, you know, like this is the sequel right now. The, the, these are the three things that, that I think have to go into a successful deal provider. And the reason why I say focus is because I was that person that, you know, Monday, I'm out looking at raw land deals. Tuesday, I'm out looking for, I'm I'm looking at a potential wholesale uh, that shows up for me to wholesale the deal to somebody else. Sure. Wednesday, I'm looking at at a fix and flip. Thursday, I'm looking at a small multifamily apartment building. And Friday, I'm back looking at the land deal again, realizing why it's going to fall apart. So I had a lot of fun, met a lot of people, but I also did got nothing done because I wasn't focused. And I took a lot of action, went a lot of different directions. And uh, I think that with that focus, you know, like, Sam Zell, the guy that owns a bajillion apartment building units. I wonder how many fix and flips he's ever done. You know, oh. probably not that many. Right. He probably just stuck into multifamily and, you know, made that and just became became a freight train in that direction and absorbed as many as he could. Yeah, um, I don't know. Did you read his book? I've not yet. Is so, it good?
0: yeah, it, it it was good. And, and he, he, um, Really prides his his success on being creative, you know? So he'd find deals that other people couldn't find a solution for and he would find a solution for it and, and get in Mm -hmm. a good, you know, a good, a good price and they would make good money and, and form a win-win, you know, for the seller and the buyer.
1: There's a lot of creative financing. I've done all kinds of creative stuff. Everything from like basic stuff, like holding paper. We just did a deal, Darren, in um, July We bought the LLC. We didn't buy the building. We didn't buy the property. We bought the LLC that owned the property. How cool is that?
0: That's very cool. So I've heard, I've heard of that before and I've heard of a pro and a con one, the pro being, all right, now you're not going to have the step up in valuation on the property taxes.
1: I I don't have to go find, I'll give you all the pros we just did it. i know the cons too we'll talk about those as well and, and that and i wouldn't do it with anybody but but uh, I, I wouldn't use with everybody but we can get into the cons uh, like you said no step up valuation on real estate taxes i don't have to go find a loan because when i'm buying the llc i'm buying the debt that's attached to that llc so i right. bought it with good debt in place right um you know I'm, uh, I'm 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 buying a something that's already been established a cash flowing llc and, and everything like that um, you know, and we and we protected ourselves too. But the con, go ahead. What con were you going I've, I've to say? Con, well, I was
0: going to not- say, was um, I had another syndicator on, on that said that they did that and um, there was a lot of undisclosed liabilities with the LLC. So yeah. when they got into it and they were the new owners, they all of a sudden found out that they were liable for all this other stuff that they did, had no idea about.
1: Yeah, yeah. and that's And that's like... You know, if you're buying, you're, you're buying an LLC, you're buying that LLC's paper trail, you know, um, you're buying everything it's ever done, any slip and fall, any, you know, lawsuit for anything that's ever happened ever in the world, you're buying and, and lawsuits that have been filed yet or lawsuits for activities that have happened in the past. Um, and so that's why you don't see this done all the time. But in this instance, it made sense. And that here's why. Here's my silver bullet, right? The seller is our property manager.
0: Yeah. So you knew, right? you knew them very well.
1: They ain't going nowhere, you right. know, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, and they're a big company. Like they're a big multimillion dollar company that can afford to pay claims. Now to your audience, here's a little, you know, if you're going to buy an LLC, what we did was, uh, we put a indemnification clause in our contract that said they had to indemnify us against lawsuits up to a certain period of time from closing, right? It was years, right? Multiple years in time. Um, and you can make sure they've got the, the pockets to indemnify you against something significant because you get a $5,000 lawsuit on a big apartment building. Okay. There's worse problems, but somebody shows up with a big six figure lawsuit or something like that. You got to make sure that the seller um, has the pockets to indemnify you, meaning like to step in and defend you. You could also reach back to their insurance company uh, and that kind of thing as well. So Eyes, added, eyes dotted and T's crossed. We had a relationship with this person would certainly not do this with somebody off the street, right. but going back, there are a billion ways. That's the thing or well about real estate is I'm like a creative type, you know, and I like to just, you know, let my creative juices flow and that's, what's great about real estate is it's not a cut and dry plain Jane transaction. It's all, there's a lot of creativity, uh, that comes into the real estate world. Uh, Which I think and, is I, weird.
0: I've only been in the real estate world for about three, three, four years. And people talk about real estate being creative. I'm like, really not. Num- it's like numbers. And it's just that, but people yeah. will look at deals differently. They, they look yeah. at, you know, okay, Hey, I'm, I'm going to change this property in this way. And another, you know, buying group may look at it completely different, and this is what I want to focus on. So um, yeah, it is, it there is definitely creativity in it and figuring out the right loan and the exit strategy and all that. Um Hey, talk about, you mentioned automating your business. You know, there's some people up, you know, that are listening that they want to scale their business. So automation is a, is a key uh, area that they can focus on. So talk about some areas where you, you automated and it helped you.
1: I Gladly. Um, and I think that, I mean, this book's kind of, I, I don't want to say it's fallen out of favor, Um, but it doesn't meet a lot of today's new, uh, entrepreneur. I say this with love, a lot of our millennial friends out there. Um, it doesn't match a lot of their desires. And that book is called the E-Myth. Um, and, uh, and that's because the E-Myth talks about like, and this, my wife and I like built our company based on the E-Myth. Um, and that, and, and it's still a great book. But it, it actually means that the, the, the reason why a lot of people don't like it, or, or I, I don't think a lot, it's, it's being applied as much as it should be, is that it, the EMF calls out that you're supposed to do all the jobs in your company yourself um, before you go and sub out or automate these things. And just put the hat on, try it, figure out the role, um, and then build a protocol around it and either you know, uh, hire it out or try and eliminate it altogether or do something to optimize that position. And just, you know, just cause not everybody's as, uh, zealous as you and I are, I guess, uh, that they don't want to do everything there is to do in their company before they push it off to automation or hiring things out. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people that have the, the viewpoint, which, um, you know, who, not how, like, you know, who should, who should you hire? You know, who can you, you know, um, a lot of people are leveraging VAs, you know, a lot of different VAs to to do tasks that you know are um, tasks that would bog them down, and they can well, focus on higher return opportunities.
1: Yes, but let's underline the last thing you just said, right? That so they can focus on higher returning activities. And the E myth talks about yeah understand the books of your company enough so that you can hand it off to a bookkeeper with a well-written protocol so that you can get out and be the entrepreneur, which is focusing on growth, fixing problems and growing your company. Right. That's what you're really all about. There's some people that are automating so they don't have to work, you know, um, that are automating because they can, so they can just be lazy and just not, not do anything. right? Right. Um, I believe in automation, so I can live my core genius. To speak in the Dan Sullivan strategic coach language, yeah. right? God-given talent, whatever you want to say, right? What I'm put on Earth here to do, you know, my purpose. So right. if I can live further into that because of automation, uh, then I'm going to live a more successful, more fruitful, more profitable, more enjoyable life by doing what I enjoy doing, right? Um, not so that I can sit on the beach and drink my ties or not work or whatever it may be. Right. There is a, there is a not working myth. Right. Right. That's That's prevalent with the fire movement and everybody else that's out there in the world. Um, that, that there is a desire at some point to not have to work at all. I'd rather work, you know, as much as I'd like to, but only do what I'm, only do my core genius. And I'll put in, you know, as many hours a week as I, as I choose to put in, if it's in my, you know, in something, in something that I'm great at, not something that I hate. I think people people confuse that. They 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 just want to, they just want to do what they hate. What they'd rather do is something they're great at. They don't want to not work. They want to do really what, what productive people want to do is to do something that, that I'm here to do. I'll I'll gladly talk about all the automation we've done too. And I can talk you through that, but I'm sorry if I'm tangent. No, I mean, I think it's great
0: because like just the word retirement, you know, like retirement, you know, I, I, you mentioned, um, whole life policies and leveraging that. And, and I had a life insurance guy. i you know, I, I set one up a few years ago and, and um, he's like, when do you want to retire? And I'm like, you know what, with this multifamily thing, with this real estate thing, like, I don't really want to, like, I don't, you know, maybe I'm just going to be doing bigger deals and, you know, maybe fewer, fewer deals, but yeah, like, why not keep your brain working and why not help other people grow their wealth and teach other people how to how to do it and you know whatever floats your boat and whatever gets you charged up you know um your core genius that you you talked about you know you
1: know Darren I don't know any happy retired people right I don't I know a lot of retired people I do and I and, and and uh and that but the ones that I know are not happy you know, um, because you lose purpose that way. And unless you've got a real big purpose, you can put yourself back into once you retire, then whatever that is, your grandkids, your kids, your grandkids, family, woodworking, uh, you know, watercolors, whatever it is, if you can get fulfillment from those things, perhaps, um, but the problem that a lot of retired people have is they end up unfulfilled because people it's a, it's an awful people don't want to say this but there is there is opportunity for joy and fulfillment from work <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's okay um, if you're if you're operating in your purpose and your core genius whatever that is then then you you will get fulfillment from it and it's okay that you are and I don't know for I don't know for meant as a species to not work to not be doing anything is your body thinks okay time to die now like I'll just I'll Just fold it's up. It's so interesting um, because I'm the, not being utilized anymore. I will, I, 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 I will take this, uh, this empty shell of skin and put it away. You know, I would not, not need, not required anymore.
0: The know? concepts of, you know, financial freedom and time freedom are are just bantered about, and that's what a lot of people are chasing. You know, but mm-hmm. we got off a little bit on a tangent, but I think it's important that look, you do those things so that you could spend time on the other yeah. st- the stuff that you really want to. And hopefully yeah. part of that is, um, you know, is giving back, you know, to uh, yeah. helping others um, throw the rope learn down, from man. your success.
1: You reach the, the mountaintop, throw the rope down. Yeah. You know? And so um,
0: you wrote, no. t- talk about why did you write the book? I mean, writing a book is a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort.
1: You know? I'm, la- I'm laughing. I'm laughing, uh, Derek, because I had no idea how hard it was going to be <laughs> when I did it. Because <laughs> I had no I, I didn't think, like, Bigger Pockets is like, hey, man, you want to write a book? I'm like, yeah, I'll write a book. Fine. That'd be great. I'll write a book. <laughs> how hard could that be? Right. Um, right, and I used to write, uh, I, I, re- I still do sometimes write articles for them and everything like that. And, um, it's a great company to work with uh, in that. But I had done a lot of stuff with them in in the past. And they're like, hey, we really like to see you write something and all that. It's like, all right, cool. I'll do I'll, I'll write that out. I'll, I'll write a book. And so that that was that topic raising, you know, raising private capital was the topic that came up. And we had a bit by the way, when you write a book, the name of the book is the last thing that happens, right? <laughs> so for the longest time, that was just called Matt's book, you know. <laughs> and then when we when we finally went down, the whole thing was drafted. Um, the, that's when raising private capital, the name came to the top. Right. Um, and I wanted to call it the real estate rainmaker, but, um, but they were like, yeah, John Grisham wrote a book called the rainmaker. That's like a New York times bestseller and you'll be lost in the noise of that. So we didn't call it rainmaker, which is a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I chose to do it not only aside from like, they thought they thought it'd be a good idea. Um, but you know what it is when I first got going I figured a lot of these things out. I think there was not in 2005, there right. was not a book about how to raise money from your friends or how to like, there was the antiquated books written in the 80s on how to invest in real estate. But there was nothing really modern on how to grow and scale a reasonable size real estate company. It was chock full of somebody's personal stories. Um, and so I wrote the book that I would have liked to have read when I first got going because I wanted to help you know, the the pat the, the the Matt, uh the, the the female and male version of Matt that's out there that just quit their job just getting started. Went, yeah, that wants a better way that <laughs> wants to learn how to do things that wants to learn how to climb the mountaintop like I did and, and wants to grab the rope that I'm throwing down here with the book. And I'm not done climbing yet. I got a lot more climbing I want to do, but I still want to help people that are on their way up. And additionally, this is like now I'll touch a soapbox moment here, Darren. I believe that our financial system is has been broken for a long time, and it's not made, it's not designed to make Americans wealthy anymore, right? It's designed for fees and financial planners, and you know, sorry guys, I'm 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 just the messenger here, but um, but that that's just the way our financial system is, and we need other means for Americans to reach their financial goals and to reach their retirement goals, um, and to be able to. Uh, you know, retire with a reasonable amount of money set aside, so they can, you know, not have to work if they don't want to, you know, uh, or at least work a little bit less if they don't want to, or have something to hand down to their kids, aside from a bunch of debt and and you know, broken broken dreams and stuff like that. To hand something real in wealth, in generational wealth down to their down to their kids. Um, I believe that entrepreneurship, real estate investing. Um, and, and other other outlets, besides just real estate investing, but just entrepreneurship, things that are not Wall Street related, that are Main Street related, um, and investing in things that are around the corner from where you live, whatever it is, I believe that's the real financial future. And and I I think I firmly believe that what we do and what I can, what my book teaches other people how to do um, is really making a real difference. And if you look back, if you get the video going back behind me on my, on my company logo, it says transforming lives through real estate. And I really mm. believe that what we do helps people change their lives. Uh, their, their fiscal lives for our investors, the quality of life for our tenants, the purpose for the people that work for us, all those things, all in one big enchilada called transforming lives through real estate. So that's really why I wrote the book is because I could, I can create that.
0: That's, with, not- that's fantastic. I do that too.
1: It's
0: admirable. And it's real. I mean, look, when I first got involved, I went and had a bunch of Starbucks meetings with a bunch of different syndicators and was like, is this real? And, yeah. and I couldn't believe people, how open people were like, Hey there, man, my, my net worth was 500,000 and now it's 5 million. Yeah. You know, or another guy coming in, Hey, guess how much my net worth is. I'm like, I knew he was successful. So I, you know, guess a a big number, eight, nine million. He's like, you know, over 11 million. And like, it's just, you know, people that you, you know, not rock stars, you know, that are, you know, that these are people that have invested in multifamily. They took a chance and then they learned and they learned Mm -hmm. how to go bigger and partner with more people and surround themselves with other people that are successful. Um, Talk talk about that. You talk about, um, you know, the people that you, you hang with and that you learn from. So talk, talk about that piece.
1: Yeah. You never not want to be the most successful person in the room. And I learned that I was that for a while. I was the most successful person in the room, but I found, I learned to find, um, rooms of men and women that were way more successful than me. Um, and that's where I've done the most growing. And so I, my wife and I both joined an organization called go abundance, um, which is a high net worth men's and women's organization. um, and that I, uh, I I tend to gravitate towards people that are a little bit off the beaten path, let's say, you know, people that have learned to uh, observe the masses and do the opposite or kind of like if all the fish are swimming to the left, might want to try swimming to swim into the right um, kind of things. So I, I've learned as I can to surround And Obviously, I have people that I just hang out with, but, I, but the people that I really learn from that I try and like, you know, surround myself by as best I can. Are people that um, just have tried on different things, risk takers, um, you know, that are willing to just keep banging their head on the head on the wall of success until they can get through. Um, in that, so that, that I I do my best to surround myself by people like that, while I also throw the rope down to people that I that I want to help pull up as many people as I can um, up to my level and beyond, you know, above me. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So it's, it goes both ways, right? You're helping the next guy and then hopefully you're putting yourself out there where you can learn from others. And, you know, I was going to ask you, well, where, you know, where do you meet those people? But you, you talked about it. You said you joined, you know, GoBundance, a high net worth individual um, group and there's all kinds of different mastermind groups out there um, that Mm -hmm. you can get involved with. And, and for the, you know, many times, it's a financial investment, right? To to get involved with one of these groups, they almost um,
1: always are because that's right. that's the that's way you you make sure people are serious. Um, they're accountable. They go-
0: they get they pay money. They're gonna they're gonna take some action, hopefully. Um, yeah. And so now you're surrounded with other people that have done things that are bigger than what you've done, and yeah. um, that you know. So it becomes. One idea can way, way, way more overpay for the, whatever it costs to join, right?
1: Yeah, and, that, and people don't realize that. And now, like, well, why would I pay ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, whatever, to be a part of a mastermind or whatever? You don't realize, man. Like, with one with one change of mindset, if it can. Increase your cash flow by that much per month, or create or increase your net worth by a hundred x of that number. Um, but is it
0: guaranteed?
1: No. <laughs> that's what the is? thing. There's some people that want that guarantee, right? But what is, you know, right? Like what, what is guaranteed in life, man? I mean, like death and taxes. That's about it, you know. I mean, but I can tell you that by the track record, all I needed to hear for something like abundance, whatever mastermind you refer to. Give me a few people that are members of it, and ten, they'll tell you, "Yeah, man, listen. This ain't gonna be easy, but if you apply the principles, you get here, and work really hard, you'll get 10, 50, 10, 10 to fifty x success of what you of what your investment is." That's all I need to hear. Okay. So you mean if I work it, it'll work for me? Okay. Right. I'm in. Um, that's. A, that, but guaranteed, you know, that's such a BS word. You know, I mean, that means that means I don't have to work. Right. I don't have to do anything right. and you'll just do it all for me. And you'll, and if I, and if it doesn't work out, cause I didn't try very hard, you'll give me my money back. Right. You
0: know? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, so there's some people that ask me about multifamily mentorship groups. And if they have that kind of attitude, I'm like, you know, the best way I could describe it is when I see a bunch of new members come in I kind of liken it to the 80-20 rule. Like, you know, look, mm-hmm. are, you, are you in your past life, in your, you know, jobs and careers, and do you rise up, you know, to the top 20%? Do you find a way? Do you kick, fight, and scratch? Then you're going to do the same thing, and you'll figure it out, and you'll be successful. But if you just want it handed to you, save your money and don't do it. Because yeah. you, just, it's not going to be just handed to you.
1: And there's good ones or bad ones out there. I mean, there there's good masterminds, bad masterminds and stuff like that. There's people that are that are doing masterminds so they can get a big check and they're doing masterminds because they want to throw a rope down and make a difference, right? right. Um, and, and so don't get me wrong, there, there are ones out there. Um, not, not every mastermind that's high dollar like that is worth every penny. Um, but once you find one and you're willing to hustle and push and, and, uh, and drive through it to get it to, to create the value and implement the lessons, then it's really on you. You know, um, it's really on you. And people don't want to hear that. But like at the beginning of the, a lot of these things, you hear people say like, hey, listen, 20% of you are actually going to do something with this education. You know, how crazy would that be if my, um, you know, my eight-year-old at the beginning of school, uh, if, his, if his second grade teacher stood up in front of the room and said, hey, listen, right. 20% of you are actually going to pay attention and listen and apply what I'm teaching right now. The other 80% of you are going to learn what I'm teaching you a couple of years from now when you're playing catch up in fifth grade. You know, <laughs> yeah, they, um, but it's they true don't typically say that today at the young ages. I've heard teachers say that my father-in-law was a teacher for 40 years. And he said, you know, you used to walk in the room and hope that you were able to make a difference in every child's life in that room and all 30 of them. Right. What, what I came to realize after about 10 years, years—man, I he was a teacher for 40 years. He said, after about year 10, I realized that I'd be that if I could touch like the lives of one to two of the 30, then that was about rate. That's about oh. what was what, what real probability was. Isn't that? I mean, you say awful or whatever, but it's just the way it is. You right. know, I mean, and so, but that that all that that's all got to do with effort and got to do with and and just the the student being <laughs> the teacher appearing when the student's ready uh, in, inside uh, as well. But if you're that if you're that person in the room, do your best to be in the twenty percentile by hustling and applying and listening and asking questions and putting your hand in the air and trying to get as much, squeeze as much as you can out of those experiences.
0: Absolutely. So I just ordered a book and I can't remember the name of it and what it was, but I remember there was a tagline on it. It was recommended by somebody and and it said, um, the tagline was anyone can do it, but most won't. (laughs) And that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, you know, it's, it's like, there's so much out there to teach people, but most people won't do it. So, hey, you talked about um, throwing a rope down and making a difference. You have done a lot of different things. Um, So, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked a lot about your book, um, but you also have a YouTube channel. You you know, talk about all the different components where you're throwing, you know, that's an effort. Social media, those are efforts Mm -hmm. to throw a rope down and educate somebody that hasn't done it before. And, you know, um, some people, um, don't throw that line down, but you do, you do, you throw it out in a lot of different areas. So talk about that.
1: I'd like to be doing more of it. Um, I'd like to be transitioning to more of, um, you know, as as our company continues to elevate and I've got more and more A plus people around me. So I don't, I'm not washing the bottles and and that kind of thing in my company anymore. You know, like there's a lot of CEOs like I am the chief in charge, you know, chief executive and janitor, janitor and bottle washer. Well, luckily, I'm able to give a lot of that, you know, stuff up that I'm not great at, and that. So as I grow, I'd like to do more give back, which will probably mean to your question things like, um, you know, give back education. I'd love to do some entrepreneur. I'd love to like go to local community college by me. And just teach a, a class to the college to to, to college uh, kids about entrepreneurship, real, um, you, you know, battle scar, uh, story level, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurship lessons and things like that. So that's on my that's on a on my couple of year list that I'd like to do as well. But we already do, we do a lot of charitable donations. Um, uh, my wife and I do. We have a division of our company called DeRosa Gives um where we do uh company-based donations and things like that um i do as you said youtube but a lot of what i put on youtube is stuff that could be charged for but it's out there for free you just got to watch a five second commercial uh hit the skip ad button and then you can watch the education we have there um and that and we, we give a lot of what we do away uh and, and it's just it's, it's because we love it we want to help people my my wife I, I should mention the real estate invest her uh, which is about uh, documenting, highlighting, and empowering the journey of the real estate uh, female. Um, she uh, does a lot of give back and throwing a rope down on her side too.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what's the next big stretch goal for
1: you? Um, I'd like to increase our unit count. I mean, not just because i going to pound my chest like King Kong or anything like that, because I believe that we make a difference as the as. Uh, our, our, properties, um, rarely have lots of move outs. If they, if our vision is implemented properly, um, we have one of the, some of the stickiest properties that are out there that people just don't want to move from. So I want to acquire more so I can, you know, create great living environments and create great investments for our investor base. Um, I probably got two, maybe three more books, uh, in, in the hopper. Oh, I got oh, one wow. of the works right now, um, in that. Second book's always a lot easier than the first book, Darren. Um, <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, well, I guess it that. didn't
0: scare you away. It was a lot of work, no. uh, but it didn't scare you away. You want to do another one, so
1: I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, there was days where I hated that book, but there's days where I loved. There, most days I loved it, and I'm grateful that I did it because I put a lot of my soul into it. Um, but um, there's we have a uh, my wife and I have a few more that we're working on right now. Fantastic. Um, so you didn't count thirteen fifty
0: mm-hmm. now. What's the, what's the What's the number you're shooting for, and and by when?
1: Um, no, we'd like to be at five in thousand inside inside the next five years. Um, smart organic growth, not too fast growth. We'd like to get into new construction. I think we can get really really creative and come up with some really really unique living spaces that are that are just fun and next level. Um, Air awesome. the future. What uh, markets do uh, you focus on? We're in North Carolina and Kentucky and Pennsylvania too. Sorry. Uh, I also own in New Jersey, but we're not looking to buy any more here. So, um, yeah, so that's a, yeah, North Carolina, Kentucky and a little bit of Pennsylvania, some certain parts of Pennsylvania are target markets for the foreseeable future.
0: So. You know, it's so funny, like, okay, so you have 1350 units. Now you have a goal to get to 5,000 within five years. Mm-hmm. When you first started doing small little real estate deals, did you ever think that you were going to have a goal of
1: having 5,000 apartment I- units? I probably could say that and 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 say like oh yeah absolutely Darren. I, you know, of course I thought I didn't know that was possible and I, you know, it's fun it's it's hard to um think about just possibility on what your realm of possibility was back then like what I think is possible now you know is is probably not even true versus where I where where I think that I might get to 10 15 20 years from now where I think that what possibility looks like you know it's one of the, it's, it, I think that we just don't, there. There's, there's only a horizon that we can see ahead in our lives of what we believe is possible. Like, if you were to ask Winston Churchill at 10 years old, where he thought he would be when he was 40, you know, the realm of possibility of what he saw for his life is probably only out to a certain horizon, right? Um, and so, so I, all, I would,
0: I think I would agree with that. But I, the other yeah. thing I would say though, is that, you know, the difference between people that i th- think that have achieved, you know, great success and, and achieved uh, huge goals is that they took action and achieved whatever their horizon was back then. Yes. And then once they, they got there, they, they pushed the horizon out further.
1: Yeah. To enugle. At some point they realized, and they could have been a different person earlier in life. Winston Churchill maybe wasn't the person at 10 years old that he, that he was in, you know, when he went uh, later in life. Right. But, the uh, the point is is that at some point I made the decision, and I was not always like this. At ten years old, I didn't know I would be doing what I'm doing now, right? Or that I would be like trying as an entrepreneur to try and build and create this thing that's that's larger than me. But at some point, I decided to. And at some point, I decided, you know, I'm going to take this life called this life card I've been dealt, and I'm going to take it for a whirl and try as hard as I can and do my absolute best and believe in myself and not allow setbacks, not to call setbacks failures and to not quit, to just keep going. And I've had so many times there and I've had my teeth kicked in, I've been knocked down, I got back up. And it's when I made the decision to do those things and to push as hard as I can and grow as hard as I can, that that, that possibility horizon that I'm referring to got a lot wider all of a sudden. I'm like, well, I guess I could do that. I guess I could, you know, buy, a, you know, two hundred unit apartment building. Oh, geez, I just bought a two hundred unit, and I guess I could scale to a thousand if I wanted to. And then I've done that, you know, and we're over a thousand now. It's like I can see where five thousand sits from right. where I'm standing. I mean, do I see where fifty thousand, like Sam Zell level, is from where I'm standing? Is that inside my event possible? My event possibility? My possible, you know, possible sure. horizon? No, not yet. But it, it could be if I grow and expand to that point. It's not my desire right now. Right. Um, but I think that I'm going to keep doing as you keep referring to, keep taking action, doing my best, and uh, keep looking to become a higher version of myself each day and each year. And, and let's see where it goes from there. And, and that's the best I can do. And people forget that. They want to just do one deal and smack it. Them. They want to hit a grand slam home run their first swing at the ball did not realize that major league baseball players strike out 70% of the time. The
0: other, the other <laughs> thing I would, I would say is yeah. like, look, when you were first starting out, you were probably focused on, what, what, what's your wife's name? Liz. Liz, you were probably focused on building the wealth of, you know, for your family, you and Liz and your, your family. And mm-hmm. then as you became more successful, you know, you started throwing the rope down. You know, and, and right now there's listeners that are listening to you and they're like, they're thinking they just want to get their first deal to build the wealth of their family, but they, they can't see down the path that they actually have the opportunity to throw the rope down to other people, you know, two, three, four years from now and teach them.
1: I'll I'll go even, I'll go even better everybody's got the chance to throw the rope down. And Liz and I started doing that a long time ago, just because this is who Liz and I are. Liz and I just want to help people. And, and that's another reason why I'm doing this is not so I can have a Lamborghini or so I can have a better car, or so I can have a better house or, or not work or an airplane or whatever it is. It's so I can live a great, prosperous life, but also help as many people as I can and make, make the lives of other people as best as I can. And so I, Liz and I, I'm not like pounding our chest here or whatever. We've always been throwing down the rope. Um, let's see two or three weeks after we got married, um, uh, hurricane, uh, Katrina came through, um, through new Orleans and ravaged new Orleans, right? We went to new Orleans for a week. Uh, Liz and I did right after we got married, we two were like two broke 20 somethings, you know? Um, and we went and found a way uh, to go to New Orleans for a whole week and we just covered ourselves in spackle every day, spackling up people's houses in the, uh, the St. Bernard Parish Good for uh, you, and man. everything like that so everybody's got a chance to throw the rope down and whether you've got the opportunity to write a big check or give some of your time or just give some attention to someone who needs it or whatever it is we've all got something to give and I encourage everybody to give, give, give what you can, doesn't always have to be a check Right. That's that's
0: a great, 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 great point. Um, Hey, what do you like to do outside
1: of work? Um, I used to make wine. I'd like to get back into that, but I moved to a new home and in my new home, I don't have neighbors that are into making wine. I used to have wine making neighbors where I lived in New Jersey, but we moved to Pennsylvania and I've yet to meet good wine making people. So I'd like to get back into that. That was my hobby for years. I do a lot of physical stuff like taking care of my body. Um, you know, running, biking, um, you know, I do a lot of outdoorsy outdoorsy stuff with my family. I ski in the wintertime. Um well, where do you ski?
0: Up in like Vermont or Pennsylvania. So, Pennsylvania. so we Pennsylvania.
1: go to we go to the poke. We go to like little uh you know um goosebump mountains. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. I grew, I grew up in over. Connecticut
0: and we would go up to Vermont and it's uh, you some go
1: the good a, spots, yeah. Well, it, it's, they're
0: great mountains, but it's you know, it's cold and it's yeah, like it it's typically man made snow a lot, you know, that is blowing on you going up the chair versus going to Colorado, Utah. You, you can get spoiled, you know. Yeah, I know. Um, I've been out
1: there too. I've skied, uh, I've skied a few spots in Colorado, I've skied Canada too. Um, it's incredible. You can't, I mean, you know, that's where that, that's where skiing is, is, is real, but it's good enough. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to get my son into it and everything like that. But the bottom line, Darren, I spend a lot of time with my family, uh, my kids. I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, I, I called him eight earlier because he turns eight in like a month. And he's already rounding himself up to eight. Like when you, when, when you ask my seven-year-old how old he is, he his full sentence is, I'm seven, almost eight. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit. That's so great. I, one of my biggest hobbies is spending time with my kids.
0: Fantastic.
1: So, uh, hey, ha- if somebody wants to
0: reach out to you, what's sure. the best way to do it?
1: Everything is on my website. The book that we talked about, the, uh, any type of education that we offer links to my YouTube links to my wife's uh, podcast is all there at derosagroup.com. D E R O S a group.com derosagroup.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, Matt, appreciate you spending the time Uh, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that one until next week. Signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to Darren
0: Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.